I have a question uh, for you. So, yes. uh, if you had to choose two main changes, two, what will be the two main changes you have experienced in the recording business as an engineer and producer that is very apparent to you in the last, you know, 20, 15, 20, or whatever period mm -hmm. you want to uh, apply for um, your answer? The biggest change that I see is that it's, um, in many cases, especially in what's popular and what's um, industry-driven, a lot of it doesn't have to do with the music anymore. It has to do with the personality. Okay. It has to do with the image of... The artist. Yeah, the artist. You know a lot more. You will know so much more about an artist in, than... You may never have heard their music, but you already know who Lil Wayne is, and yeah. you don't know who. I'm just pulling names yeah, out. Yeah, that's fine. That um, have become notorious and uh, or become famous, and uh, because of media and all of that, and um, it doesn't even. It does matter that their music is successful or is good on certain levels. Yes. Um, but uh, yes, who cool. the personality is is so much more important than the music sometimes. Yes, yes to cover, you mean yes. Yeah, and um, also with the technical formats, um, the uh, quality of sound recording has uh, diminished because um, out of convenience. Mm. What is convenient for people to carry around in their pocket um, may not be the best sounding, but it's the most convenient. In streaming formats, uh, with all of their different requirements, mm -hmm. that's gotten so much more complicated to get your music out there in a way that will be profitable for you as an artist because of all the metadata information that has to be correct for somebody to say, um, hey Alexa, play yes. the Vignatis. Yeah. Um, all certain things have to be in place, and and uh, what sounds one way on Spotify will sound a different way on Amazon, oh, and will right. sound a different way on yeah. Tidal. Well, it's true. You know, and um, that uh, I don't like that. I see. I wish there was some continuity and some integrity that was in place. Um, I have to go back to the simplicity of, um, uh, you know, a vinyl record or um, a piece of tape or in film, you know, actual film. You hold up a light source. Yes. You can see an Good image. Point. You put an electromagnetic pulse against tape and you will hear music. What we have digitally is just data. Yeah. And in all of your drives and all of that, and even though people back up um, their drives, um, how do you archive all this? Archiving is a big, big... Uh, Undertaking. Well, and it's kind of a problem as to know what to do. Um, the, uh, the formats that things get recorded in now, that... Pro Tools session, um, if it's before a certain time, can't be played back on a, a later 
yeah. technology. And what they're finding, people said, well, it's all right. I back my stuff up to drives. Drives are always good. You know, tape, if there's not stored right, you know, disintegrate. You got to bake it, blah, 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 blah. If you can't get that drive to start spinning, oh. if you don't have a playback for yeah. that drive and the format that that was recorded yeah. on, um, there goes your data. Yeah, it's true. And there's so much music. I'm worried all the time about that. Well, and you know, in the Library of Congress, um, uh, you, you know what they back up to all their music is to tape. <gasps> really? Yep. Even wow. though they upgrade all the digital formats, but the thing is, digital is just uh, samples. Yeah. And and so you're only as good as the sample rate that you recorded it at. If you can't upgrade from 44116 up to 19224. You uh, you're just chopping it up even more. And so you're losing even more information because every for every one that's an on sample that you hear there's an equal zero which is an off. So 50% of your information is missing. Wow. So you psychoacoustically uh, recognize that that's your music, but the half of it's missing. Yes, you have filters. Yes, you can put it together. But it, um, that's why I like to, ideally for me, um, is to record to tape, even with its anomalies and all of that, um, uh, because it's a sample rate of one to one, and then I can dither that down. I can to I've got legacy quality recording. I've captured a performance that's as close to live as possible. And until uh, for um, commercial purposes, you can have a direct stream digital, meaning a sample rate of one to one. It takes up a lot of space, but we've got the technology for yeah, that. You know, true. how many terabytes do you need? We got the space too. Yeah. So if that way you have one big sample and all of that information and secondary and tertiary harmonics and all those frequencies, well, and digital also only records up to like 22K, which you say, well, nobody can hear beyond that. Well, um, your body can. And yes. And it exists. All of those sounds can. are there that, like mm -hmm. I said, we may yeah. not hear it with our ears, but we hear it with our wow. body. That's why yeah. people love listening to old vinyl because they get an emotional reaction because everything's there. Yes. And even I, amongst the clicks and pops and oh, whatever, so but it's there are no offs. Yes. My friend Jan in France, he, uh, he, he bought a turntable for his kids. Mm -hmm. The first time, yeah. and he took two albums, the same, one in vinyl and one in CD, and he played both of them for them, mm -hmm. and they were like, "Wow, the vinyl!" And they're, they're young kids; they're like twelve. Yeah. They're yeah. like, "Whoa, Dad, what is this?" Well, and well, that, because everything was intact, it may not have been recorded as brightly as a CD would be, or you know. Um, what is popular sonically yes. changes through yeah through the decades yeah, yeah. you know um, 
the sound of the 40s music that our parents and grandparents listened to is not uh, what we listen to with rock and roll and correct and um, and punk and and then we got into prog rock and you know audiophile legacy quality recordings that I grew up and uh, learned my skills during a time when audiophile music uh, you wanted to record the absolute best that you could um, and master it the best that you could so it would uh, get played back on these you know multi thousand dollar systems that uh, and then of course that pendulum swung to where it was like you know um, you had an iPod and people yeah. just collected things and it was convenient to have it in your pocket and CDs uh, the first CDs were just horrific, um, and uh, but they were clean. And yet, yet we were here. The, the country, oh, it's the best. Is yeah, everything? Well, and it and, was not. And uh, oddly enough, that forty-four one sixteen format that uh, came out for CDs in nineteen eighty-five. Yeah. Wow. Guess what the standard still is. The same. Forty-four one sixteen. Uh, that has not Change. changed, yeah. even though we have, you know, they're trying to get us into high resolution and, yeah. and um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's still um, inefficient and complicated now. And so those are the two things Thank that um, Boy, it is. bother me. That's true, huh? That's yeah. good. It's inefficient and complicated. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, <laughs> something funny. Yeah, so, something. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Why don't you give us what is the funniest, either producing or engineering story that you've experienced as a producer and engineer? Oh God, and uh, you know I had that in my head. There's um, probably uh, bazillions of stories. Yes, I'm but, sure. Well, actually, they're not so much funny as. Um, for just me, inspiring. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, one of my most important sessions. Can I do that? Maybe the, a funny one will come up. Um, uh, there was an artist coming in um, named uh, Debbie Boone, and she had had a huge hit in the seventies called "You Light Up My Life." You make me whole. Anyway. Anyway, it was played to death at every wedding, every everything. And she was like kind of a one-hit wonder. And uh, everybody kind of went, oh, God, Debbie Boone. Well, I was told I was going to work with her this one day. And I went, oh, I don't, you know, yeah, I don't want to work with Debbie Boone. And uh, I didn't say it, but, uh, you know, I was thinking that. And then um, the session starts, and uh, she needs to do vocals on her entire record because she will be leaving at 6 a.m. the next morning for a six-month tour starting in Japan. So our session started at noon, and her producer, Brooks Arthur, took us, took myself and, I guess, an intern and um, the engineer and said, okay, we need to do 10 vocals between now and 6 a.m. with her, and I need you to all help me do this. So he engaged us, and um, so I need you to stay 
out of the line of sight. We'll just have low lights so she can only see me. And I need you all to be present. We have no wiggle room here. We have to get this done. And so I'm counting on you all to help me do this. Okay, we're on. But I, so she comes in and she's sweet and nice and all of that. Well, she gets in her chair and this is going to tape. And uh, so he needs to produce 10 final vocals in a row. And she has to be able to sing Mm -hmm. 10 final vocals before she leaves. So we worked from noon all day, all night. She would have her tea and lemon. This is back in the days when people would swig whiskey and stuff to Ooh. keep their throats or thinking that was oh, it or do drugs, they stay awake or whatever. <laughs> oh, my God. No, she, was, she had her warm lemon and ginger tea back then. Um, her boyfriend would rub her feet. She'd sit in a chair out there and sleep while we would play back and listen, and he'd say, okay, I'm going to punch you in at this point. And so she would sing. She was the most ultimate professional. Wow. And I that was the most important production session learning opportunity I ever had. I thought, okay, this is a producer producing these vocals. And she we got them all done. He kept her calm. He kept her, she was professional. She did her part like a trooper. The limo came at 6.30. She got in the car and went to Japan. Wow. And I went, I I have never written a fan letter to anybody in my life. I wrote her a letter telling her what a difference she made in her session and how much it meant to me to have worked with her. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, it was true. I know, I see that. I know it's emotional because she kind of, maybe, I mean, depending on other artists, she kind of ruined it for them. You know, she set the bar so high. But people made fun of her. People said, oh, you know, you light up my life. You know, it was just a schmaltzy thing, but she nailed it. And then she couldn't get past that. You yeah, know, they wouldn't, heart. and her dad was um, Pat, Pat Boone, Boone mm-hmm. and that didn't help so much. I'm sure either. Yet she, she was a pro, and she had mm-hmm. a fan base. And Brooks Arthur taught me more about producing and working Incredible. and inspiring a performance. Wow. And I learned more there that my whole almost whole toolbox. Of was production that was right is than incredible. That Cha- just, what a story! Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of vocals. Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. only a lot of vocals, but the time that you're doing it. Yeah. Because everybody, oh, I'm a night owl, I'm a night owl. Not really. No. I mean, sang. as a vocal person, an instructor, yeah. you start to wear out about 10 p.m. Well, she, you know, Dave, but then you do what you have to do. Yeah. But she did it right by yeah. the tea and no other yeah. substance. Yeah. That may, amazing, amazing so, story. So, Thank you. And so, then uh, I have another story that's yes. kind of famous that people like for me to tell about working with Steely Dan um, on the Asia album. Um, you know, they're kind of known for being um, persnickety and perfectionists and all of that, right? Um, God bless Walter. He's now in heaven. Yes. Uh, but, uh, or, well... 
wherever he is. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I would, I'm not going to say that just because I don't know what he would say. But um, <laughs> um, but uh, I adored these guys uh, after I got over being intimidated by them. It took me about two months. Two of months? Be, of being around. That, well, I worked on the record for ten and a half months. Oh, wow. The Asia album. And um, uh, we did... At the village with Roger, the immortal Nichols, may he also rest in peace, uh, my main mentor. Um, but uh, they would—they were known for, you know, punching in one note at a time and doing all this sort of stuff. Well, uh, they said, "What's the most intense?" story do you have regarding them recording well there's a song on the Asia album called home at last and it goes dun, da, da, da. well the danger on the rocks is surely past yep still i remain tied to the mast yeah all of that uh well so we're recording to tape right and so this is before there's pro tools where you can move things around and get it perfect yes because um donald would say i don't want it perfect i just want it right but that was more than perfect uh, you know what he was wanting so um about i think it's about three times in the song uh he goes da, 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 da. well the yeah well the yeah well the well the okay the first day, we do the melody for Welva, the three mel, because the timing of it and the phrasing and all of that had to be just so. So Donald, we'd punch in, da, 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 in, Welva. So the first day was the melody uh. of those. Second day, the double, da, 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 punch, Welva. That was the second day. Third day, the harmony. Well, the. Dun, 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 dun. Well, the. And the fourth day was the double of the harmony. Well, the. Well, the. Well, the. I had nightmares. Oh. After four days. <laughs> Fortunately, we got the parts, and yeah, the sessions were only like four hours long, but they was excruciating for me. Oh, wow. And by the uh, the fourth night, I was uh, I was really a mess. You were in traumatized. My head. PTSD. I, had, I couldn't sleep. I had PTSD. Well, well, I couldn't get over that. And oh. I went up to the studio manager, Dick LaPalm, upstairs, and I said, "I can't take this. Yeah, I, can't. I can't take this. They're I doing can't. well, the." Well done, well done. And he said, you get back down there and you stick it out. And he said, this is going to be the most important record that you will ever work on. And it's your- just get in there and do it. And I went, okay. Okay. <laughs> and I, and I well done. I mean, there. well, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, and um, yeah, and he was right. And, and he was I'm right. glad I wow. stuck it out. That's incredible. Um, but boy. <laughs> And so through the years, he would call people because Dick was this great guy who'd been with Chess Records and was a real personality. And Chess Records in the... Oh. And, and yeah, Chess Records. He yeah. worked for Leonard Chess years Leonard before, Chess. but and Nat King Cole and all this. So he was, 
Um, bless his heart, he's he's also not with us anymore, but he, he was a lot of fun and had great stories, but he would, every once in a while out of the blue, I would get a phone call from, uh, hey, Lenise, it's, it's Uncle Dick. That's how I knew him, Uncle Dick. And he'd say, tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> they don't believe me. Tell the story. Tell the story. Well, so, the, I mean, yeah, well, it goes yeah, like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. Well, wow. so that happened. Yes, and uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I have a question because I when it, during that story you mentioned the word mentor. Mentor. Yes, yes, mentor. So, can you tell us a little bit about your mentors and the people mm -hmm. that inspired you? Yes. In that business. Well, first of all, um, we've already talked about Roger. Roger, Lynn, yes, and he and I are, are are still good friends. And, um, uh, but he definitely helped to get me going, um, especially talking me down off the ceiling over something I thought I'd never be able to understand, um, in class. So, um, through his, uh, input and guidance, um, I, I don't think he even realized the importance of what he was doing for me. Come over. Okay. This is a... a 1176 limiter and this is what limiting is compared to what compression is and you know and play around with it so you can know what it sounds like you know he provided that for me so that was huge and then the i think the other biggest mentor i had um clearly was roger the immortal nichols with um Steely Dan. We worked on the Asia album as well as I worked on about one third of the uh, Gaucho album. Oh, okay. Um, and then bailed on that, I have to say, because I had done my Steely Dan time. Um, and <laughs> you got the PhD in Steely yeah. Dan. Well, okay. <laughs> and and there was a lot going on there, and um, uh, I found out that. Super Tramp was coming in, and the one record that made me want to become an engineer or that inspired me the most was the Crime of the Century album by them. When I heard that, I actually said out loud, I want to make records that sound like this. This is before I even knew about recording studios, knew about any of that. I was studying film, but something grabbed me, and... That the sound of that record and the sound of those drums and the sound of all that was just it just compelled me and to make me stand up and actually say that and guess what happened after that but um, but back to Roger Nichols we worked on several projects together but he was um, so brilliant yet he understood communication. You know how so many people and technical people, or as women hear the term, man, we get mansplained. Yeah, mansplained. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mansplained where it's like, well, honey, you know, uh, we do this and this and this and this. And uh, Roger was, he just knew how to communicate and knew the importance of saying something in a way somebody could understand it. And so he... Could take the most. He was a, a um, nuclear physicist down at oh, Sinanofri wow. at one point. I mean, brilliant guy. Um, wanted to make records 
because he couldn't stand the clicks and pops and the mistakes that people left in records. So when he recorded, he wanted My kind to of have the <laughs> cleanest um, signal flow between from the microphone through the sh using the shortest cable possible. You know, uh, all of the minutia and the micro um, getting in the way decisions. Yeah. All it added up to what made Steely Dan Records sound like Steely Dan Records. Wow, that's that's you know you amazing. don't let he he taught me you don't uh, you know your my cables don't touch you know for the this is a setting up for drums that's my hand being split in five different ways uh, just all of that that those little things add up and in the in the control room sometimes we'd. Uh, uh, bypass the VCAs in the console and go straight into the, the tape machine um, because that was even a cleaner sound. Or he would just, uh, his approach to how to record was as cleanly and uh, efficiently as possible. So you captured the greatest sound yes. without any artifacts or any, you know, as little interference from technology as possible and also he communicated very very clearly so I could understand anybody could understand he never talked down to me mm -hmm. even though um I was called his favorite geek oh okay yeah. but that's a compliment he's well, a nuclear physicist and, and, I mean, he yeah. can say that he'd say <laughs> yes. she's my favorite geek so uh if I wasn't in the room <laughs> And, you know, because quite often they were doing something where in the control room with an artist and I did not need to be there. So I'd be out in the lobby on hand if they needed me as the assistant. And he'd open the door and go, where's my geek? Oh, I love it. <laughs> which, which you know, compliment. which was, a yeah, kind of a I term of endearment. Of course and, it is. And uh, But he taught me so many um, wonderful things and really... Uh, uh, was enthusiastic about it and saw my passion and desire to want to be a good engineer. And so he was really um, generous with his knowledge and showing and choosing microphones and then telling me why he's choosing these microphones and, and um, you know, how he likes to mic the drums a certain way this way and then um, all these different things he taught me and um, that I use to this day. Oh. And the the integrity of the recording is is very important to me. A lot of people don't get that sort of training or aren't in that environment where a lot of people go, ah, oh, nobody's going to hear that. You know, we'll just let it slide. But it was before you fix everything on Pro Tools. Tools but the thing is, you don't always want to fix things. You don't want to quantize things. Yeah. There's there's subliminal time changes in a song that the drummer does intentionally that uh, the singer will swing the note. Right. Um, you don't want to pitch that up. You don't, you know, that's, that was intentional. And it's, and audio is to be heard, not looked at necessarily. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes uh, audio has now become visual. Well, the visual so, has, yeah. has taken yeah. precedence yeah. over just listening. And so quite often, um, you know, when I'm working with an engineer, we weren't going to do a playback. I say, turn off the monitor. Let's just listen. And 
they go, you know, they, <laughs> they don't, they don't know how to just listen because that's not how they were trained. Um, and so, uh, so I try, so I, when I mentor, I try to bring that into the picture, into the picture that yeah. this is, you Rely know, rely on your ears your, more than yeah, your eyes. Yeah. And, uh, cause that's really, it's audio engineering. It's not. Yeah, optical engineering. optical engineering, but the but the um, ability to correct everything yes. and make it perfect has had a huge impact on how songs and music is produced these days, these days. Uh, good or bad. Yeah, true. You know, it should we be expect a tool. things. Well, it should be a tool and yeah, a creative tool. A tool, but not the only means. Well, and just because it. Uh, you know, the bass is a little behind the kick or the yeah. rhythm. It, it it's not always wrong. You know, maybe exactly. that's I agree with that's you. the groove right there. Don't mess with the groove. Yes. And um, so um, so Roger Nichols taught me so much. That's and, great. Thank you yeah. for sharing that because the, yeah. we know the importance um, of the relationship between the mentor and mm -hmm. the. And, and the protege, and the and the protege. Yeah, and you, the we know that greatness to me is one of the main factor of greatness is you surround yourself with great mentors or you ask the right question and sometimes you don't ask the question like you said mm -hmm. he was giving you information because he picked up on your life that you had so much uh will to be mm -hmm. successful and will to do good job and well, learn also, if uh, quite often, and I share this with students when I'm teaching, uh, just be quiet and listen, and you know, write your questions down if you have questions. But uh, so often, if you just pay attention, there your question is going to be answered just by observing. And so much um, of what I learned was unsaid. It was learning from their styles, like uh, Peter Henderson, who co-produced and engineered Breakfast in America, had been Jeff Emmerich's uh, uh, protege, and um, Jeff Emmerich, you Would know, recorded the yeah. Beatles, um, as, along with so many other wonderful artists. But uh, when I worked on Breakfast in America, I learned so much from him just observing his style and observing how he set things up and... Um, you know, uh, mic technique and and production technique. And when I talk about production, because uh, I'm from the previous era, um, I'm not talking about making beats and samples and all of that, yes. uh, which is quite viable, and that's what production means to most people. For me, uh, production is taking the musical elements and producing them uh, into that final product, whether it's, um, you know, editing certain things and um, putting them in, you know, recording this and recording this and then putting them Put together, together. And, or uh, adding little things here and there or inspiring performances or um, keeping the session on track and budget. Yeah. And, you know, that's very important. That's what a control. producer... That's exactly. That's what a producer needs to do is um, you, you know, you book the studio and you, you contract the, 
the talent or you have a contract who contacts the talent, you know, whatever. But you oversee every aspect of it, including the recording schedule and the re and the budget. And you want ideally you want to bring it in um, before schedule and under budget. And that's the goal. And that often uh, that's an acquired skill too, mm -hmm. yes. because if somebody's um, micromanaging their guitar solo and it going on and on and on, you could just say, you know, maybe we're going to have to go back to this at another time. Let's move on to this yes. for now, because we got a room full of, you know, musicians and you know the clock's ticking, um, you know, whatever. But keeping everything on track and flowing smoothly and and you know telling jokes and getting people relaxed yes. yeah. and, and all of that, That's breaking the arts. Not everybody has that skill, and I think that. It does come from inside of someone's life. Yeah. The more that you know yourself and what, and the more comfortable and confident you are, you can offer that to people. Well, I think it's essential in a creative process to make Absolutely. people feel comfortable. You like, have to feel comfortable. One of the my biggest tools that I do if I know I'm going to be doing vocals, because uh, someone who can be very comfortable on stage singing to an audience... Uh, is very vulnerable yeah. in a, a studio by themselves or whatever, you know. And um, so it's important to put them at ease and to put them in that space where they will s sing that song with the right intention. And so typically what I do is before we start doing vocals on a particular song, I'll sit with the artist and, and we'll go over it and I'll say, so tell me why this song is important mm -hmm. to you or what made, you know, this is such a cool song that you wrote or, uh, you know, what was going on at the time? Yeah. And uh, the and they'll say, well, you know, this was happening and this and blah, 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 blah. And I said, wow, how that must have made you really feel awful or, uh, or but smart. then when it ended, you know, boy, you must have felt so relieved or whatever. So I put them back in that headspace mm -hmm. so when so they deliver that vocal they are there it's again. like vocal acting yes. well and it's important for me to know um to say oh you know put a little more smile in that one that's so yeah. cool but just like put a little you know open to that or you know you're feeling so good about what's going on right now let's shout me you know yes. and uh and so that's how, so I understand the intention as well, completely. I'm sure. not just interpreting it my way because so often, you know, the stories that we think are being told lyrically, uh, we may think it's a, a love relationship and really it's about a brother and sister or it's about uh, yourself and your parents or Somebody, you know, the relationship can be something entirely different yeah. than, than we naturally go to. So that's why I want to understand what it was about and what inspired this song and what was going on. And that always seems to work. Once they're talking about what was going on, they're there. Yeah, you know, and you see a light go on, or yeah, and some so, kind of life. Yeah. Wow. Okay, let's go do them. this. Yeah, let's go Another do this. Another trick 
Yeah, another trick in in your bag of yeah, yeah. That, that good the, in your toolbox. Yeah, that's why exactly. we that's why we call it a toolbox. The engineer right. producer tool belt diva. Yes, yes, right. That's what yeah, she exa- is. Exa- <laughs> yes, well, definitely. One more question we have. I have a, a one more question for sure. you okay. that that I want you a current question is uh, what are you currently working on? We would like to know and. Um, where the can people can contact you and found you. Ah, but, okay. But first, what are you doing now? Well, um, interestingly enough, um, a few months ago, I got um, asked to um, mix this uh, sound bath recording. If you don't know what a sound bath is, is it with the, the listeners? Uh, That's the crystal the bowls, bowls yeah. played, and what happens is uh, these bowls resonate. Um, frequencies sound and they're tuned in different ways so the sounds create a vibration and if you're lying there taking this in these different bowls get played and they reflect off sounds and they bounce off your body and it's like a full body massage inside and out and it's a great experience um uh to do something like that live now to capture that in a recording is kind of difficult because again a lot of the frequencies are going to be gone if you record digitally and then it's all about the reflections and spatial and how it it's not just stimulating your ears it's stimulating your whole body so um so i was asked to mix something that was recorded but it was recorded with the microphones very close so you didn't get any of the frequency reflections and it just kind of sounded like a synthesizer with an oscillator on it, you know, bing, 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 bing. and it. So I created my own spatial aspect by re-recording the sound and playing it back in my room. In my my home has very high ceilings and rounded corners, and also I would oh wonderful. So I played it back through a, a stereo and mic'd the reflections, putting close mics, medium mics, back mics, and then added that to it so to create the actual dimensions. And it, it gave the effect of being um, one being immersed in the the recording. live experience yeah yeah, yeah. so i uh, would love to try a sound yeah so, i mean i know about them I oh just, they're fabulous yeah i, love I think them. it'd be a great you, thing to do is that what in your biography when we said special immersing yeah is that what is it yes yeah. well so now uh, what i'm doing now so that worked i, I kind of made it up yes. but it was more like um uh, a binaural recording what is this you're hearing what is this you're hearing and what is the you know so i just place things and it gave the psychoacoustical illusion of depth. Oh, well, now I can't wait to hear this. Well, I and, hear this and, and it worked for the artist. And um, so uh, I had been at a, a Dolby Atmos room getting it. I was asked to come in and get a demonstration of all these different Dolby Atmos recordings. And um, I realized, wow, this is a perfect format for this sort of thing to be immersed in it that's how we listen naturally you know we don't for our brains to listen in stereo is is kind of a head shift we naturally listen to everything around us Mm -hmm. and 
so that's why I'm compelled to carry on with this. Well, um, I got approached to mix um, officially in Dolby Atmos at the studio, another um, sound bath recording, but there will be, you know, there'll be like wind or there'll be, uh, there's some other instrumentation as well, but it's not so much musical, it's more meditative uh-huh. and... Okay. and but that's good to add to your palette of work. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's sure. because I did the first one, um, uh, then and it worked. Um, then I got asked to do it officially in Dolby Atmos. So I'm excited about that. That's very exciting. Yeah. So I, that's that's my latest thing. At the uh, at the Nam show, I saw a company named Clang, and they are doing immersive in here mixing. It's a company. I will send you that yeah, information. Okay. Yeah, I sent it to the guys who mix our album, and he said it's absolutely incredible. It's named Clang, K-L-A-N-G, and it's immersive. Clang, K- yeah, immersive in ear mixing, and I will send you that. Well, it's because of gaming and because yeah. of VR yes. and um, uh, and then being in your car, so you know you're you're a stationary person, so you can be immersed in the sound. And I used to. Uh, simulate that uh, I had this wonderful little BMW and I would split the front and back you know quad was yes. immersive so I would do a balance where I would have some of it in the back of me and it just felt so good to be surrounded by everything and because we so uh, the majority of playback the what they call the end listener you know, who is, who is benefiting from this immersive audio? Well, it's the end listener, that's us, and and it's usually through headphones. Yeah. Um, now, it's still an evolving format, and people are still experimenting with it, and headphones are changing all the time to accommodate it, and, you know, everybody's trying to keep up with... Um, they're remixing all of these... Uh, Musical libraries, uh, you know, Universal is redoing all of their music in in um, Dolby Atmos, and wow. uh, you know, a lot of the different companies, uh, and they're building lots of Dolby Atmos rooms, and people are doing surround. It's it's just taking stereo was just too limiting. Well, now that it can be. You can be immersed in sound, and it can be synthesized in your headphones because. Wow, I'm up know. for that. I, I saw Pink Floyd in '87 with the quadriphony mm-hmm. uh, when they did the momentary lapse of reason. Yeah, and I was in that stadium, and it was ah, a quadriphony. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we know from the sound of Animals, uh, the album, and all the sound that was made with this yeah. album, when the quadriphony was in the stadium. It was incredible to hear the, the, the helicopter or whatever the plane, whatever yeah. was going yes, on. It was, yeah. The quadriphony was absolutely yeah. amazing. Fantastic. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. So. Well, and hopefully it will inspire people to want to have, uh, you know, more speakers around their house to have the experience the without message. wearing headphones. So you actually are immersed in the sound uh, in your in your listening environment, mm-hmm. yes. Um, but uh, it right now mostly into headphones. However, if you do get these wonderful speakers and uh, you have the full experience, and you know maybe this time it'll take off. 
you know. Well, I hope so. Yeah. I saw that the I saw I just uh, saw a partial of a Chris LG Lord. Uh huh. He just Chris did, Lord. Yeah, LG. yeah, yeah, yeah. He just did a uh, uh, on YouTube uh, a Dolby Atmos as well. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, Teaching, not teaching, but masterclass, masterclass. So telling people, yeah, a masterclass. Yes, yeah. because we want to know. I mean, I yeah. just discovered that with the TV that we just bought, the uh, the Sony, the yeah. new Sony, and I did, I don't know what it is, and I'm trying to understand more. Well, more, the so. special will what? Uh, hopefully, you will have. Um, typically, it is a, a seven point four point one. Yes, and uh, uh, so you have your subwoofer, but you have your seven speakers and you have them below and above yeah. and behind. And so they're not just linear, you know, they're, um, you know, like it would be naturally. It it will play it back more naturally. It's, like a, it's an incredible future for, for well, the South. And I, you know. I'm glad you're in it. I, yeah, yeah in well, it. I've, I've. Uh, like I said, are you immersed in it? I'm immersed in it. Well, <laughs> after they played back, there was so many great remixes as well as some recordings that were done very well. But people are still figuring yeah. it out. But boy, the my favorite was um, uh, Marvin Gaye. What's going on? Mm -hmm. oh, oh my wow, God! They remixed that. That one just sent me over the top. And Rocket Man by. Um, you know, Elton John. That, those two, those two, songs. just were done so beautifully, and uh, but some of the other ones they played me, I was, just, you know, well, they'll it, get there. Well, they did things like they put the vocal above you, and that was disconcerting, and I felt I was being sung down to, and I didn't like it. Mm. I see. You know, that was not um, what I wanted to hear. My our two ears face forward. You know, um, yeah, yeah. So, well, now where can people find you yes. well, if they want to contact you, if they want to learn more about you? Yeah, well, um, I have a website, um, lenisebent.com. Okay, so and go that's, there, and there's a uh, you know, a this lot will of also be in, we'll also put all this information in oh, the okay. show notes as well. Okay, but. and you know, I'm on Facebook and and the usual social media, Socials. even though I'm I try to be limit my amount of time on there um but uh yeah if you google me there's a lot of stuff okay. about me awesome and um yeah excellent well thank you so 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 well, much for being here i told you today. people you were in for a treat <laughs> it's so we wonderful could go on to have for you oh at least another two hours i'm oh, sure but so gosh. much uh so much knowledge so much stories so much uh, for the listeners. Yeah, thank no. you so much. Thank you. Thanks for you. being with us. I, I had a blast. This Good. was so much Excellent. fun. The time just went like boom. I know. Well, maybe there'll be a part two. So stay tuned, people. Yes, definitely. Well. So um, because we are talking about uh, sound engineering, and she mentioned the name of Jeff Emmerich, our fun fact today is um, concerning the Beatles and the song Strawberry Fields. So if you don't know, people... Uh, Strawberry Fields was recorded in two versions. The first version was in B-flat, and the second was in C. And John Lennon liked both of them. So he asked Jim, Jeff em, uh, Emmerich, which, by the way, we saw at the... We saw, was that at the NAM? NAM. Yeah, we, yeah. Saw, mm -hmm. we saw him talking. 
what Jeff Emmerich did is slow down the C version by 11.5% in order um, for the tempo and the keys of both versions to match perfectly. That's brilliant. And you can actually hear the uh, edit press, uh, the, 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 the spot on the song. It's at one minute. Um, it's at the, uh, the first cello note onward. And that is where the edit comes in. Super. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Okay. Now let's talk about Spotlight. All right. To me, one of the most amazing places in LA is someplace that you have to be invited to go. You can't just pick up the phone and make a reservation, but it's the Magic Castle. I love magic. I do not want to know how tricks are done. I don't want to know anything. I just want to be wowed and entertained, and that's it. So if you ever can, uh, if you have an opportunity and you're invited to go to the Magic Castle, you have to go. You either have to be invited by, you go with a member, uh, invited by a member. They give you a guest pass, so you can stay at the Magic Castle Hotel. That's another way to go. So I love magic. Uh, it would be better if they would make my fat disappear, but that didn't happen. So maybe next go around. Now we're going to wrap up this episode with, uh, actually, before we do that, don't forget, follow us on Spotify. Uh, please for any Apple user, go to Apple podcasts and give us uh, a rating. If, if you like this uh, episode, please give us a five-star rating. It'll help reach other people and help the algorithm work for us. And also, please share this with just one friend. Let's spread the word. Because yes. we're here to help people in their lives. So, here's the quote for today. A woman is the full circle. Within her is the power to create, nurture, and transform. End quote. That's from Diane Marie Child. Thank you very much for being uh, Thank you very us. much. Thank, Thank you, you for, ladies, for being with us. This Thank is you a, for she was amazing me. to have. And remember, everybody, we are here to help you rock, rock your, your life. life to a little bit of chicken pie.